Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, certified religious transition and trauma recovery coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm really excited to continue our conversation from last week. If you have not listened to last week's conversation on acceptance, please go back and listen to that episode because it's going to make today's episode make a lot more sense. Or you know what? You do you. That's part of acceptance, right? You get to be the authority in your life. You get to make those decisions and decide what you do first and what you do second. But just know it might make a little bit more sense if you've listened to what acceptance is, at least from my point of view, right? I could be wrong, but what acceptance is and what it is not. Now, we're going to start with a silly little quote that I love. It's from an anonymous author, but it says, you aren't going to be everyone's cup of tea, especially when you're coffee. Acceptance is understanding what is in this cup is tea or it's coffee or it's a glass of Coca-Cola, or it's wine, or it's scotch, or it's a margarita, or it's water, or it's milk. It is understanding that this is what this is, and we're not trying to magically change it into some other kind of beverage just because we want that other beverage really badly. We understand that we are not Jesus, whether you believe he is mythical or real or whatever. We understand that we can't turn water into wine. We can't do this with beverages. We can't do this with people. We understand that people are who they are. And even if we really want them to change to meet our needs better, we don't get to make that decision for them. Only the person can decide for themselves whether they want to change, if it's in their best interest, if it's something that would actually expand them, or if it's not. We can't make that decision. And like we discussed last week, you know, many of us say we want acceptance and we do but we also want compatibility. We want to be recognized for who we are. We want to be understood. We want people to allow us to be our own person, to be our own authority, to make our own choices, to have our own beliefs without trying to control our lives. We want people to stop trying to change us to fit their needs. This is all part of acceptance. That is what acceptance is. It is recognizing the truth of someone as best we can, right? Because we can't get inside of someone's head. But if someone says, this is who I am, we believe them. If someone says, this is what I like, we believe them. We quit trying to convince them to be different or other. And instead, we believe them. And then we accept that. Then from there, we decide what we want to do with that information. So while we say we want that, what we also want is compatibility. So we want people not only to recognize and respect our individuality, but we want them to really, really like it. And we want them to want it in their lives. We want people to celebrate who we are and find great value in what we bring to the table. And we want our relationships to be like free flowing. We want to feel like we complement each other. We want to feel like it's comfortable and easy. And we want there to be 
as little conflict as possible in the relationships. We don't want our relationships to feel like we are walking uphill both ways, barefoot in the snow, like our grandparents said, right? Over and over again, we don't want our relationships, especially our super close relationships, to feel like this never-ending struggle of misunderstanding and mismatched expectations and unspoken rules that we're constantly stepping on and not understanding and breaking. And so what we're talking about there, where we want things to just like fit pretty easily, like there's going to be conflict in every single relationship, but it shouldn't feel like all out war regularly. We shouldn't feel like we're walking on eggshells. We shouldn't feel like we're trying to traverse through a field of minds that could blow up at any moment. So we're looking for people where we feel safe and we feel comfortable. And even though we might be different or we might have different needs, it's okay to be like that. And these things, what we're just talking about here, this is something that's known as compatibility. And I think it's important to understand that acceptance is a big piece of recognizing compatibility because first we have to really see each other, right? I have to see you and really know you and be able to accept you for who you are in order to decide, are we compatible or are we not compatible? But I think it's really important to understand that just because we accept someone, just because we believe them when they tell us who they are or show us who they are, doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be compatible. Now, as an example, let's continue with our beverage theme because I think it's kind of fun. And I think it's also nice sometimes not to talk about interpersonal relationships and to look at inanimate objects because it allows us to kind of like step back from the emotion of it all. So let's say that somebody put a goblet of some of the very finest wine in front of me. Now, I can accept it for what it is, and I can even admire the artistry, like the thousands of years of history in winemaking that led to this glass of wine, and I can admire the patience it took to let it age for as long as it did, and I'm still not going to enjoy that wine. I don't like wine. I have tried to like wine since leaving the Mormon church, and I just don't. I thought that I would be like totally into wine. I thought I would be an aficionado. I thought I would like to go to all the wine tastings because I love to cook. And I don't like wine as a beverage. I've tried some of my friends' very favorite wines. Everyone takes it as like a challenge, right? Like, oh, well, you just haven't tried this wine. And so I've tried, I've gone to wine tastings, you guys. I have gone to Napa and tried wine like straight at the vineyards and I don't like it. And so this wine, no matter how well it's crafted, this wine and I would not be compatible. There's nothing wrong with that wine. That wine is amazing. And somebody else would really enjoy it and savor it. And just feel so lucky to have that glass of wine in front of them. And if somebody presented me with that wine, I would be, I would feel disappointed. I would be wishing for a tumbler of bourbon or a margarita or chocolate milk or ice water. There's nothing wrong with the wine is what I'm trying to say. It's just the wine and I are incompatible. We don't work together. This is also true for my son's best friend. 
My son's best friend is severely lactose intolerant. He's coming over tonight and he's often commented that I have this like really nice high-end chocolate milk in our refrigerator. And even though, you know, that milk is like some of the best chocolate milk out there, it tastes like melted Dutch chocolate ice cream. If you know what Bluebell is, if you're from the South, if you're from Texas, especially, you know what Bluebell is. It tastes like melted Bluebell chocolate ice cream. And it is so freaking delicious. So if I were to give that to my son's best friend, those two would not be compatible. Even though that chocolate milk gives me like the most joy ever, it would make my son's friend really, really sick. So there's nothing wrong with the milk. The milk is perfectly fine. And there are people like me that think it is the best thing on the planet. But there are other people that that milk makes sick. So Please understand when we're talking about compatibility, it's not about good people and bad people. It's about good fits between people and bad fits. There are going to be people that we're highly compatible with, and there are going to be people that we're not as compatible with. And it doesn't have anything to do with judgments about who's good and who's bad. It's just about what works for us and what doesn't work for us, what we enjoy and what we don't enjoy what makes us feel expanded and like we can relax and feel safe and what makes us feel like maybe we're a little bit more on guard. So let's talk about what makes us compatible with people. According to licensed social worker, Leah Avellino, one of the big mistakes people make is to assume that compatibility has to do with similarity. That when we're similar, when we're the same, that we're compatible. And that's not necessarily true. So sameness can sometimes be a sign of compatibility. Like you've heard the term birds of a feather flock together. And that's because sometimes when we have similarities, it makes it easier for us to get along with less friction. So for instance, if you're like both practicing the same religion, if you have similar attitudes and expectations about your relationship, if you enjoy similar activities, or if you have similar interests, These are all similarities that can help us feel more compatible with one another. But sameness also can promote incompatibility. So for example, let's say you and another person are both dominant personalities who enjoy being the one in charge or in the spotlight. And you find yourself competing with the other person instead of complimenting the other person. Both of you are vying for the spotlight. Both of you are trying to fight each other to be in charge and make all of the decisions, that can be a sameness that promotes incompatibility. Now, differences can also signal either compatibility or incompatibility. We've already talked about the incompatibility that can sometimes happen when one person in the relationship enjoys spending most of their time together and communicating often, and they want to get intimate super quick while the other person enjoys a lot of alone time and quiet time and prefers to take a lot of time before they decide to allow someone to become intimate with them. And if this sounds familiar, we have podcast episodes about anxious and avoidant attachment and kind of how that can create some incompatibility in our relationships. It's a really common incompatibility that happens in relationships. If you feel like I'm always there for the person and I'm always giving and I'm always doing and they're not there for me, it feels like they run away sometimes or disappear sometimes, 
you may have some of this incompatibility going on between your relationship styles. It doesn't mean it's incurable. That's the nice news. Awareness allows you guys to work together and decide, is this a good fit? Is this something we can work together on to find a way to meet both of our needs? Or is this a huge incompatibility that makes us unable to feel safe in the relationship? Those are the hard choices we have to make once we fully accept who someone is and we become aware of our compatibility and incompatibility. But differences aren't always a sign of incompatibility. So let's consider a relationship in which one person enjoys being sexually dominant and the other enjoys being sexually submissive. These inherent differences could make these people more compatible sexually. Or how about a relationship where someone hates doing the yard work but enjoys laundry and dishes, while the other person hates doing laundry and dishes but loves doing yard work? By the way, that's my marriage. I love doing yard work. I hate doing dishes and laundry. Kevin doesn't mind dishes and laundry. In fact, those are probably two of his favorite chores because he can listen to podcasts or watch movies while he's doing both. And that suits him wonderfully. So I do all the mowing, weed eating, clipping of bushes, planting of things, landscaping. I built like a 150 foot retaining wall in our backyard. I've installed patios. I am the one that fixes our sprinklers every single year and reconfigured those so that they water all the plants and make sure that everything's working. So I'm the one that blows out the sprinklers every year, aerates the lawn, like all of that. Yard is all me, painting the exterior of the house, fixing the screens, all that sort of stuff. And Kevin, he like vacuums the carpet, cleans the bathrooms, does the laundry, and most times does the dishes as well. So our kids help with both of the chores that both of us kind of primarily oversee, but our differences make us highly compatible when it comes to housework and taking care of our property and doing the chores. And it's wonderful, especially since getting over the indoctrination that I should enjoy dishes and I should enjoy doing the laundry and like taking care of everything inside the home. Man, since leaving Mormonism, those differences in us make us highly, highly compatible because I'm no longer combating the inner dialogue that I'm somehow failing my husband or my family because I'm letting Kevin do some of those chores that I was taught were women's work. So. It's so exciting now that I can be outside and do all of the things that I was conditioned to believe were man's work because I really, really love them. Now, there's a licensed therapist named Spirit who has been on Oprah and the Mel Robbins show a few times that talks about five areas of intimacy that can help us determine whether we're compatible or not. And she uses the acronym RISES, R-I-S-E-S. And before we get further into this, she defines intimacy as in-to-me-see, the ability for someone to really see into the heart of who you are and accept and resonate with what they find there. And with this definition of intimacy, we're combining acceptance, the seeing and the believing of who you really are with compatibility, the resonating with and the loving what we find there underneath the surface. So really what we're longing for when we talk about acceptance 
We're longing for intimacy. We want people to see us and believe us and allow us to be our own authority, acceptance. We want people to like what they find and celebrate what they find, which is compatibility. And we want to feel safe because when we are seen and understood and we feel like we're lovable and we're celebrated and like we get along well with the people in our lives, we open up and we're allowed to get intimate. So she defines five different kinds of intimacy that help us determine our compatibility. And I really enjoyed these because it helped me kind of parse out the different relationships in my life and recognize some of the ones where maybe we have some incompatibility and a little bit of conflict and friction in some areas of our life, but we really get along in other areas of our life. And this has been really helpful in deciding how I want to structure those relationships going forward. So the R in Rises is recreational intimacy. And just like it sounds, it's all about the hobbies and activities that we like to do. We're looking for people with recreational compatibility. We're looking for people where we can be honest about what hobbies and activities and interests we enjoy. They accept that and they vibe with it, right? So if we tell somebody like, I love board games and I really enjoy movies and I like cuddling up in warm blankets and reading books, then we're looking for people that like accept that about us. They aren't like, no, 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 you just haven't tried skydiving. No, no, no. You want to come dancing with me on the weekend. They're like, okay, that's what you enjoy. That's cool. And I also enjoy that sometimes. So for Kevin and I, for instance, I have a side of me that really enjoys those things. Those are things that Kevin super, super, super enjoys. He loves to play board games. We play them every single weekend, sometimes just the two of us, sometimes with groups of friends, but he loves board games. He loves watching movies, and he also enjoys reading quietly next to someone else. Those are all things I love to do too. I don't love to do them all the time, but I would say a good 30, 40% of the time, that fits my personality because of the ambivert parts of me. So I have parts of me that love the quiet things, but then there's parts of me that love to dance, parts of me that love to throw parties, parts of me that love to go to parties, parts of me that, you know, want to be with people and go to like festivals downtown. So accepting one another is him being comfortable enough to say, hey, this is what I enjoy and this is what I don't enjoy. And me being like, that's cool. So I will play board games with you. We'll watch shows. We'll snuggle up together and sometimes read. But he doesn't always come with me to social gatherings. So I'll sometimes go to social gatherings alone or with other friends. I take my kids out to festivals, um, sometimes all by myself. It'll just be me and the kids. Although right now he is actually at a rock climbing gym with both the boys and they are getting their rock climb on so that I can record. And I love that, you know, even though he would probably just hang out here, he also recognizes like, I want to make memories with my kids. And so he does enjoy rock climbing, but it's not his favorite thing to do. 
but he's out there doing it because it is our oldest son's favorite thing to do. So he's out there doing that. And I really, really appreciate his flexibility with that. He's very honest about what he likes. And then we've figured out how to give and take with that. So I often do a lot of social things with the kids or on my own. And then we hang out here together as a family because all of us have an introverted side and we all enjoy getting to do things, you know, here at home, watching movies together. And we'll have like deep intellectual discussions about things we're watching in a movie. We've got to be the world's most annoying family to watch movies with because we like to watch movies and then like pause and have a discussion in the middle. And I know that's going to drive my son's partners crazy someday. So sorry in advance to my son's partners. Um, We love you. And we hope that they find people that are compatible (laughs) with that tendency in our kids. But yeah, so recreational intimacy, we're looking for people who have similar interests and are excited to do the things that we love to do. Now, the I is intellectual intimacy. And intellectual intimacy is where like you can have discussions on the same level. You can vibe with like the things that you're discussing. So if you're super into politics, like you find somebody that can really like meet you where you're at. Kevin and I have a lot of intellectual intimacy and we're highly compatible on an intellectual level. We love studying some of the same topics, even the topics that are different. We can have some really curious conversations and both of us learn and are expanded by having these discussions. I have a neighbor next door. He and I talk over the fence about all things like work-related and business-related and like what's going on in the world. Like we'll be out there gardening and then he'll ask a question. And before we know it, like two hours have gone by because we've had this like great intellectual discussion. So you can have intellectual intimacy with your romantic partner or with a great friend or with a neighbor. Um, Chris Peck, who's going to be on the podcast next week and the week after we've already recorded and it's going to be super, super fun. We're talking about intentionality in building relationships and in building community for ourselves. He's coming at it from his you know, perspective as a communication coach and how we can show up intentionally in our relationships. He and I, like we will get talking, we'll talk about all kinds of intellectual topics. And before we know it, I mean, I think we scheduled an hour and a half, two hours for our podcast interview. (laughs) And an hour in, I was like, oh my gosh, we have just been like talking about topics. We need to actually push the record button. So you're going to have people like that, that just light your brain up. And that is intellectual intimacy. The S is for spiritual intimacy. And I do not mean religious intimacy. Spiritual intimacy can be, it can be like religious, right? It can be the ability to vibe on the same level religiously, but it could also be like life philosophies. It could be like how we feel about the earth and how we take care of the earth, our connection that we feel to other humans, um, our value system, um, our expectations for how people should behave. It's kind of like our framework for morality and our framework for just like our connectivity to each other and and our place here in the world. So that's spiritual intimacy. Emotional intimacy, the E 
is the ability for us to share our emotions with one another and feel safe and to feel understood. Even if we're having different emotions, the ability for us to say, hey, like I feel really lonely right now and to be met by somebody else who will have empathy for that and really get curious and try to understand without judgment. That's the emotional intimacy. It's okay for me to feel what I feel. You're a safe person for me to feel with. And we're like having emotional intimacy on the same level. This would also be true if you had a person that's like, hey, I don't do emotions. I don't, you know, really enjoy talking about them or digging into them. They would be compatible with someone else who's also like, yeah, I could do without talking about emotions. So you would have more compatibility if you had two people that way who are just kind of like, you know, I deal with emotions in more of an internal way and then I fix it with myself and then I move on. So um, if you had another person that wanted to talk out their feelings all the time, kind of like I am, like I want to talk about my feelings, but I want to take responsibility for them as well. But I do want to share them with people. Then it works better if you have somebody who is also comfortable sharing emotions, getting curious with them, sitting with them, than if you had somebody who's super uncomfortable with emotions. The next one is sexual intimacy. This one becomes really problematic in a lot of romantic relationships. And, you know, people come to see Kevin in his office a lot because of sexual incompatibility. And this happens a lot, I find, in couples who got together in high demand religions because sexuality was de-emphasized or not talked about at all. And so often maybe we felt an emotional connection or an intellectual connection, or even just a recreational connection with someone. And especially if you grew up in a high demand religion, like Mormonism, where you weren't really allowed to like have physical contact with the other person, you may not have even known if you were sexually compatible because you couldn't touch each other or explore the chemistry, or if there was any chemistry, you weren't allowed to um, really even talk about sexuality with that fear of stirring up those feelings and maybe, you know, ending up doing something that would be against the moral code of the high demand religion and might end up getting you reprimanded or, um, you know, punished for breaking that moral code. A lot of times what would happen is we end up in relationships with people that we may or may not be sexually compatible with. So with sexual intimacy, either kind of like we were talking about earlier, you either have somebody who naturally gravitates to more of like a dominant role and somebody who naturally gravitate gravitates to more of like a submissive role, or you have two people who just naturally want to have sex a little bit more than your average person or two people who are totally cool having sex a little bit less. And, you know, you're compatible in those ways. So either it just kind of naturally happens that you're kind of both on the same schedule and have both similar expectations, or you're, you feel comfortable because of your emotional intimacy, you feel comfortable expressing what's working for you and what's not working for you. You feel comfortable talking about what you like and what you don't like, what you want more of, what you want less of, like how this sexual relationship is going to work for you both. Either it just kind of like you naturally have this chemistry and you're kind of on these same expectations, or you have that emotional intimacy where you can kind of navigate through and create a sexual relationship that really, really works for both of you. 
And I already know some of you are listening to this and you're like, uh, what do I do if I'm compatible in like three or four ways, but I'm not compatible in all five ways. And I got to say, I love this quote again from Leah Avellino. She says, what would it be like for us to assume we will disagree, that we'll dislike aspects of each other, that we'll spend a lot of our lives trying to find the right mix of you and me rather than being disappointed and surprised by this reality? You likely aren't going to be 100% compatible with anyone in your life because you are a unique individual human and you have no clone out there. And I have a feeling even if you had a clone out there, that clone would annoy you because of those similarities where you would be incompatible because you're both trying to do the same thing and you're stepping on each other's toes. So even a clone of you would not be 100% compatible because you would have those pieces. If you like control, like I often do, then I would get into fights with a clone of me because both of us would be striving for control. If I had another person, if I had another me out there who wanted to do all the yard work and had very strong ideas about how the yard should look and wanted to design it too, we would have some serious incompatibility. In fact, I have a neighbor where both of them are avid gardeners and designers. And I love it because we share tips and tricks because I really do love plants and being outside. And they fight all the time about their garden because they're so similar. Where's the apple tree going to go? Where are they going to put the tomatoes this year? What kind of organic pesticide are they going to use? When are they going to harvest these things? Where does the compost go this year? They fight constantly and they're constantly digging things up and moving things around that the other person has planted because they're both avid gardeners with very strong opinions about what goes with what. Kevin does not care, like cares 0% about the yard, does not care. And so I have free reign. I do all the work, but I also get to make all the decisions. So what do we do since we're not going to be 100% compatible with anyone out there? How do we make these things work? The first thing that we got to do is we've got to take responsibility for our own needs. We often struggle with acceptance and compatibility because we either subconsciously or consciously want the other person to take responsibility for our needs. And we're upset that they're not taking that responsibility off of our shoulders. So if you found someone, let's say you found someone who stimulates you intellectually, gets you emotionally, who loves maybe going hiking and kayaking just like you do, and you have a deep spiritual connection with this person, but let's say you're straight and they're gay. Guess what? You can be great friends, but you likely aren't going to be compatible as lovers. You're going to have so much fun together in the areas that you're compatible, but you're going to need to either meet your sexual needs yourself, or you're going to need to continue to look for a relationship with someone else with whom you are sexually compatible. We can have amazing friends that meet certain of our needs, but really aren't compatible with us in other ways. Our romantic partners are going to be compatible with us in certain ways that are compelling and wonderful and incompatible with us in other ways. So if you're like me and you have a romantic partner that is 
intellectually stimulating, let's say, and like compatible with you emotionally and intellectually and sexually. But when it comes to your hobbies, like you only have like one or two hobbies in common or interests in common. And then you have lots of other interests that you guys don't really fit with. You don't really vibe with. It is now your responsibility to accept this is what I can do with this person. They might choose to go to a festival with me or they might choose to go rock climbing with the kids. But primarily, this person is going to be someone who really enjoys hanging out at home, cuddling up with the cat, watching movies, playing board games, but they really don't enjoy going out and doing a whole bunch of social things, especially in super crowded places. So we're going to have to take responsibility for that. Like, this is what they can give. This is what they want to give. This is what works for them. So how do I meet my needs in these places? Because those needs are valid. It's valid that I want to go out and go to festivals. It's valid that I want to go dancing. It's valid that I need time with friends. I have to take responsibility for myself to schedule times to go to lunch and coffee with my friends, to go to Zumba class, to go to, you know, like the Greek festival that's happening in downtown Denver or to like other gatherings that are happening. That is my responsibility because those are my needs to fulfill. They're not his needs to fulfill. He neither wants to fulfill those needs on a consistent basis and he shouldn't have to. So he engages when he wants to and when it sounds like a win-win for him and when it doesn't, I take care of those needs. I had a professor in college who said, we're not looking for 100% in our close relationships, but more like 60 to 80%. And it doesn't mean that we just settle for 60 to 80% of our needs getting met. And that we just forget about the rest. That is a recipe for resentment if I ever heard one. It means, and I'm going to use some financial language here, we're going to diversify. You're going to find people who vibe with and meet your recreational needs, your intellectual needs, your spiritual needs, your emotional needs, and your sexual needs. And sometimes you're going to find people who meet a large portion of these needs, like all in one package, but no one's going to meet all of your needs. This is why you'll want to collect a diverse group of people around you that you're compatible with in different ways. And again, if you're in a romantic partnership and let's say some of your needs aren't getting met, we don't just like be like, okay, well, I'm going to go take care of that. Like we have committed to a relationship. We have to actually work with the other person and work to get consent, especially when it comes to sexual needs and emotional needs. We're going to have to work together to find a solution that is a win for both of our needs. The second thing we can do is we can define the qualities that we're looking for. Ooh, we're getting thunder. I'm going to keep recording here um, and we will just enjoy some thunder and the thunderstorm. We've had storms every single day for the past month. So we're just going to like move ahead with this. But the second thing we can do is define the qualities that we're looking for. So many of us were conditioned to look for the one, either the one romantic soulmate or like the best friend forever, right? But instead, we're looking for a set of qualities that instead of allowing us to be in perfect sync with that other person now and for all time, we're looking for qualities that allow us to be individuals who can grow and work together to create a mutually satisfying experience. 
So I have some questions for you. What qualities would you look for in someone who can work with you and create a great relationship experience? So if you need to pause for a minute and just think, what would I need from someone to feel like we could grow together and work together? For me, this goes back to my values. In all of my close relationships, I'm looking for open-mindedness, curiosity, emotional intelligence. I'm looking for empathy. I'm looking for healthy personal boundaries, integrity, and a sense of personal accountability. These are all necessary for me to feel safe in a relationship and feel like it's okay for me to be myself. And it's also necessary for me to feel like, okay, and we can communicate through this and we will find a win-win for both of us. There have been very few instances when I've been in relationships with people who have these characteristics that I haven't been able to find a win-win, no matter how different our needs are. We've been able to find a way where their needs are met and my needs are fully met. Not that we're meeting in the middle and only meeting 50% of our needs, but I've been able to say, okay, this is how we meet our needs together. What are we going to do with these needs that are not being met? How are you going to meet your needs? How am I going to meet my needs? And we find a solution. Now, when some of these pieces are missing, I don't find as comprehensive of solutions with people. And I'm still working on that. I'm still working on how do I deal with some of these relationships that I want to keep? These people are important to me, but maybe they're missing some open-mindedness or maybe they're missing some emotional intelligence. Maybe they don't feel comfortable expressing personal boundaries. They might not even know what their personal boundaries are. And so it's hard for them to stay in integrity with themselves because they're not connected to themselves and they don't know what they want and don't want. Like that's difficult. And I'm still figuring that out. So I don't have the answer for that yet. Hopefully I will in the next couple of years as I continue to practice and get curious and read more information. But for now, when I have close relationships that have these things in common, then I feel like we can find a solution to almost everything and get both of our needs met. But your needs may be different from mine. So I want you to take some time and think through what qualities or characteristics do you need a person to possess to feel like you can work through misunderstandings and differences together so that you're both satisfied in a relationship. Because remember, we're looking to get 100% of your needs met, but not necessarily with one person. And so what needs are being met here and what needs aren't necessarily being met. And then allow yourself to just get creative. There are all kinds of solutions out there that can be acceptable for both of you and allow you both to get all of your needs met, just maybe not by each other. The third thing is You're going to align the person with the role in your life that they're best suited for. Now, I'm going to kind of bring some ideas in here from Teal Swan, and I'm, you know, struggling a little bit internally with that because I have kind of recognized some culty red flags kind of in her group with some of her following, but I really did enjoy her take on compatibility and the roles people play in our lives. So I'm going to share it here because it was really helpful for me and actually has already helped me kind of begin shifting expectations for 
a couple of people in my life where we've had some like problematic uh, relationship dynamics. So hopefully this will be helpful for you as well. Often we struggle with people in our lives because we've subconsciously assigned them roles that they aren't qualified to fulfill for us. This doesn't mean they wouldn't fulfill that role well for someone else that maybe they're more compatible with in this place. Remember earlier we talked about emotional compatibility. If we're a highly emotional or sensitive person and we need someone to be really empathic and able to listen and connect with us in that emotional, like deep emotional way, that's cool. And if we have a partner that likes to keep it surfacey with emotions, doesn't really want to talk about it, often does their own internal processing and doesn't like to involve other people, that's also cool. But together, we might feel really, really incompatible. If I am relying on this person who likes to keep it surfacy, doesn't really like to talk about emotions, just wants to process internally and doesn't want to share those things, if I'm relying on them to be my emotional support, I'm going to be highly disappointed because their skill set does not match up with the role that I've assigned them. It doesn't mean that their skill set is bad or wrong. That doesn't mean that they can't be a great emotional compatibility partner for someone else. Because maybe someone else is like, when I'm grieving, I want to be left alone. I want to figure out my stuff. And that partner's like, yep, okay, I like that. I understand that. That's a great compatibility right there. That would not work for me. That doesn't mean their way is wrong. It doesn't mean my way is wrong. It just means our two ways together are not working out well, at least in this role. Now, this person might not be a great fit for me as an emotional like partner, as an emotionally compatible partner, but they might be a great fit for me to go kayaking with. They might be a great fit for me to have deep intellectual conversations with. They might be a great partner for me to have like meditation sessions with or to go on long walks with, but they might not be the best partner for me to share my feelings and work through my feelings with. So be aware of what roles you're putting people in and do they have the skills and the traits necessary to fulfill that role well. Now, Till Swan compared this to what happens with roles in a company. And I really love this, so I'm going to share it. I'll share the whole video in the show notes too in case you want to like watch the whole thing. But I really enjoyed this. She said, You know, sometimes you have a person in a company that's maybe put in a managerial role and they really suck as a manager. And that person might really struggle with organization. They might really struggle with like getting feedback from other people about how the company should proceed forward. They might really struggle with scheduling. um, And they may even really struggle with communicating like boundaries and things like that. But if you took this person and you put them in customer service, for instance, they might be really good at empathizing with others, um, validating other people, helping them like feel heard and understood. And they might be a fantastic customer service representative. And so what we're looking for is we're looking for the roles. If there's someone in your life you want to keep in your life, but they're frustrating the heck out of you in their current role, we want to look and see what role have I put this person in? Why isn't it working? And what role would they be better suited for? So let's take a moment 
And to end this conversation, because I feel like we've been going for a while already, let's take a moment and we're going to do a little exercise. I want you to think of a person in your life that you have a lot of struggle or conflict with. Give me a moment to kind of think of that person. What roles are you expecting that person to play in your life? Are you expecting them to be like a surrogate parent? Are you hoping that they will like help you feel better emotionally? Are you wishing that they were like your hiking or rock climbing buddy? What is it that you're really wanting from them? And how are they doing with meeting your needs in these roles? What's going well? What's really not going well? And I want you to take a moment and personally evaluate what feelings is this bringing up for you? Both the places where they're meeting your needs and the places where they're really not and there's a lot of conflict. And how are these feelings affecting you? Is it showing up in your inner dialogue? Is it showing up in your feelings of self-worth? Like what's going on? Now I want you to think for a minute, what roles might they be a better fit for in your life? And if they were in this role, how might that change your feelings towards them if you only expected them to meet the needs in this new role? So let's say up until this point, you expected this person to be emotional support for you, but they're really not great at that, either because they're emotionally dysregulated or they have a lot of shame or they don't have a lot of emotional intelligence, or maybe they have some sort of disorder where sometimes they're really present for you and other times they're really not available. But what if you really connect with this person recreationally or you really connect with this person intellectually? What if you put them more in a role of like, this is the person I go do fun things with, but we don't get into deep emotional stuff. And if I'm emotional, then I can always come home and talk to this other person. And last, and I just kind of talked about this in this last sentence, how are you going to care for your valid needs that are now unmet? Well, and they've always been unmet, right? Because this person hasn't been meeting them. That's part of the frustration. But now that we're aware these needs are unmet and they're not going to be met by this person because that person is not good at meeting these needs, how are we going to fill this new void in our life? We're aware now that we don't have a person in this spot that we feel like we can share emotionally with. So how are we going to fill this? And I want you to think about this like a business because you guys, I'm I'm both. Like I love talking about psychological things, but I really do have a business brain. It's something that I really enjoy studying, which for those of you who didn't realize, I'm getting a master's degree right now in business because I do enjoy it so much and I'm loving it and I'm crushing it and it's so great. It's super exciting. But I want you to think about this like a business. If you were interviewing to hire someone for this vacant role in your life, what qualities would you be looking for? What would compatibility look like for you in this specific area of your life? Maybe your frustration with this person is that they don't like to do what you do and you feel unloved because they don't go to the festivals with you or they don't you know, go to sleep with you early at night. They're more of a late night owl. Maybe they like to go lift weights at the gym, but you enjoy running and both of you feel like you have friction here. So what 
would compatibility look like for you? Maybe you thought, I want somebody who loves to exercise, but you ended up with a gym rat and you love to run early in the morning and that's not working out well for you. So what do you actually need? You need somebody who loves to run, loves to get up early, loves to see the sunrise so that you can get that need met. You want to run with somebody early in the morning? You got to find a person who loves to run early in the morning. Now, I think we're going to end there with compatibility. There's lots to think about. We do have two interviews coming up with Chris Pack. I may slip one more interview in um, somewhere along the way having to do with this compatibility and acceptance. Oh, that thunder is amazing. But I hope you can hear it on the recording because it really is amazing. I'm watching the rain pour down. Seriously, this has been the weirdest year in Colorado. Usually, you know, we'll get a little bit of rain. It has rained almost every single day since the beginning of May. And Colorado has never looked so green. So if you're thinking about coming to Colorado, this is the year to do it. It is gorgeous right now. I've still not turned on my sprinklers for the year. I've not done any irrigating. My garden is growing. My grass looks better than it's ever looked before. And I haven't done a thing to it aside from like mow it, clip it, and like, you know, just prune everything. So if you're thinking about coming to Colorado, this is the year to do it. But I want to leave you all today with some of these questions. Really sit with yourself. Give yourself the time to get clear on these answers. It will make a huge difference in your relationships, which is what we're all after. We want those deep, intimate, relationships where we just feel safe and we feel like we belong. And this is how we get them. We got to get conscious. We've got to get conscious about what we really need, what we really want. And we have to be honest with ourselves about whether people are filling those roles or not, and either have a conflict conversation with them, which I highly recommend anyway, if you haven't had a conflict conversation about this, like, Feel free to script it out. Feel free to sit down and say, okay, this is what I need. This is what I want. And I can present that to them like, hey, these are my needs. These are my wants. And this is what's not working. Can we resolve this together? So we can always try that first. And if that doesn't you know, resolve the issue, if the other person's like, no, I am not going out dancing. Or I really hate that. That makes me feel uncomfortable. Or I am not cool with emotions or, you know, whatever it is, then we can accept that. We can believe them and we can move to put them in a role that's more compatible in our lives while we look to fill that vacancy of the things that are missing. Because you deserve to have all your needs met. There are people where you will be their cup of tea or coffee or wine or milk or whatever it is that they love. And if your needs aren't getting met, it's not because there's something wrong with you or wrong with the other person. It's because the two of you together just aren't a good fit. So go find a good fit. And I can't wait to discuss this more next Sunday.